all of us here at Troy Church in Troy, Alabama, thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We are a family in Jesus that aims to love God, love one another, and love the world. If you would like more information on who we are, what we believe, or how to get involved, please visit us at troychurch.tv or email us at info, I-N-F-O, at troychurch.tv. All right, so this Sunday, as you saw the text that we read, we're jumping ahead a little bit from where Zach was last week. Zach left you guys with like five ways that we see spiritual rest in this first part of Ephesians 1. He got through three of those. He's going to pick up the next two later. Uh, But this week, we're going to jump ahead to verses 15 through 23. And we're going to see Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church as he starts this letter. He's still kind of in the opening parts of this letter. Uh, And we see as he starts this letter, we're going to see this this prayer for for the church in Ephesians. So I want to give you, kind of before we go any further, two contextual reminders. What I mean is like, two reminders about, about the situation of this letter uh, that I think would help us as we go forward. So the first kind of contextual reminder is that this is a letter. So this is a letter, meaning it was written to a particular audience, right? So Paul has this church that he's familiar with, that he has lived around in mind, and he writes this letter to them, right? This church in Ephesus. But it's not just a letter. It is a letter, but it's not just a letter because it is a God-ordained, spirit-indwelled, and spirit-inspired letter, right? And because it was spirit-inspired, the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians, they didn't just take that letter and keep it for themselves. They took it, they copied it, they shared it to other churches, so much so that it eventually became part of our Bible, right? It it became circulated among churches, right? Like, we don't communicate in this way, right? If we write a letter to someone, it's usually just for that person, right? So, for example, uh, the Mother's Day card that Ashley will get at lunch today because I'm slow and, and didn't get to see her much this morning. The Mother's Day card that she gets at lunch today is going to be specifically for her. Like, I'm going to write that to Ashley, uh, and it's going to be specific to her about, like, my emotions towards her, how I appreciate her as a mother, and, like, just how I love seeing her uh, raise Harper and be a part, like, uh, like all of that process, right? She could not then take that card and, be, and like, hand it to to another woman of our church and be like, here's this letter. Like, she could do that to show you, but it wouldn't carry the same meaning, right? Like, it, it, would, have, it would have no meaning for you because that was meant for Ashley and it was singularly meant that way, right? So we don't write this way, but while Paul was writing to this singular church, the Holy Spirit was writing to the capital C church. Right? The Holy Spirit was writing to the, to the universal church, meaning any who would be believers. So that means this, this letter... In this prayer, like it is for you, right? It is for you. Like Paul's praying for the Ephesian church, but through the Spirit, he is praying for you, and he is praying for our church. So, first contextual reminder that this is a uh, a letter. Second contextual reminder, and this seems obvious, both these things do, but that they're important, is that this is a prayer. This is a prayer. Like Paul's telling them how he's praying for the church. So what that means is that the things in which Paul is, is telling us here, the things that which Paul desires for the Ephesian church, for our church, for us as individual believers, are not things that, that we can do on our own, 
They're not things that Paul can do on his own, but they are things that only God can do, and he's asking God to do them in us. Right? In this prayer, God is, Paul is asking God to work in us, to do things in us. And so the fact that Paul is praying for us means that it is telling us who he expects to, to do the things that he's asking for, and that is God. Right? So it's a letter and a prayer. So it is for you, because it's a letter, it is for you, but it is not for you to do. It is not for you to do. It is for God to do in you. Right? A lot of the application that's be similar to what you heard Zach say last week. Like, there's not a whole lot to go and do out of this. There's a lot to think about and to reflect and to sit in and say, like, I believe this to be true in my heart. And so keeping these two first contextual reminders, like, in your head... We're going to break down this passage into to three basic parts, right? So the first thing we see is that Paul is going to pray for, or he says that he's praying for us to have things, like things for us to have. Then he's going to pray for things for us to know. And then we're going to see the last part of this is the basis for which these things are true, like the basis for which we can have and know certain things. So first, let's look at the things that Paul prays for us to have. What things does Paul pray for us to have? These are things given to us by God. Look again at verse 17 of chapter 1. Verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having, or like you could say having been given, having, the rev, re, having revelation, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so Paul prays that these believers, that, that this church, that, that us through the Holy Spirit, like now, like us having this letter, that we would have wisdom from God, that we would have knowledge of Him, and that we would have our eyes and our hearts opened by God. So again, like these are things that Paul is praying to be given to us, right? He's not praying that we would go and do these things, that we would go and like learn these things, that we would go and and like be this incredible, like studious person to, to attain this particular level of knowledge, he's praying that it would be given to us, that it be given to us by the Spirit and by God. So what exactly do these things that Paul wants us to have mean? What do these things mean? Let's, let's look at them individually. So spirit of wisdom, or we could say spiritual wisdom. That's the, that kind of wisdom is applying God's words and God's truths about him to our life. So it's taking this like, head knowledge, these things that we would know in our mind about God, it's taking them down to our heart level, but then letting that affect the way in which we do things, the way in which we would live. Wisdom is knowing how to live out the very truths that we know about God in our hearts and in our minds. Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's applied truth. So for example, like, we could say that we know God, know that He is good, and know that He is powerful, but it takes spiritual wisdom like to really trust God in his goodness and his power when things are really hard, when things are really bad, when the rubber meets the road. It's easy to say, I know God is good, but as soon as something bad happens, like it takes spiritual wisdom to really sit in that, like to really trust in that, to, to do that without questioning the goodness of God or doubting his power. It takes spiritual wisdom to, to see that in the hard times. We also know that God's word tells us what is right and what is wrong. We know what sin is because of God's word. But it takes spiritual wisdom to apply that to where we would live a life 
that would be continually turning towards God and would be like putting ourselves out of situations where we'd be tempted to sin. It takes spiritual wisdom to keep ourselves away from temptation. We know that we are called to rest, right? Like we, we know from the, the Ten Commandments, we know from, from Scripture that God has called us to rest in who He is. But it takes spiritual wisdom and, and trusting God in, in a way that allows us to really rest in Him. Otherwise, we would just say we need rest and we just keep doing the same things, keep burning ourselves out, we'd keep uh, putting all these tasks before rest. But it takes spiritual wisdom to say, you know what? I'm going to trust that God's got this handled. I'm going to trust that, that God is going to take care of me, and I'm going to rest in him. So what we see is that spiritual wisdom is simply just the, the application of what we already know to be true about God. And it's not earned. It's not practiced. It is given. It is given to us. James 1.5 says we're told to pray faithfully for wisdom and that God gives it freely to those who would ask. God gives wisdom freely to those who would ask. So it's not something that we, that we earn. Oftentimes we think about wisdom coming with, with age, and like, like worldly wisdom does, but spiritual wisdom comes from God. It comes by, by asking God for wisdom and by trusting in his word. So Paul prays for us to have a spirit of wisdom. He also prays for us to have a spirit of revelation. How else would we get wisdom except for revelation, right? except for God revealing things to us? Paul prays for these truths about God, for knowledge of him to be revealed to us, that it be uncovered. That's what it means to reveal, to uncover something, and particularly something that's already true, right? Like these things that, that Paul would teach us about in the beginning of chapter 1, like those are true things that Paul wants us to know, and not just to know, but to experience. Right? That, that idea of knowing in verse 17 it is a deep and profound knowledge of God. Not an intellectual knowledge, though, but more of an experienced knowledge. More of a, a, a knowing God as a person. And so you could hear Paul saying to the church, I pray that you would not just know him, but that you would experience him. That you would feel him, and that you would experience him. And so would, would we be drawn near then to God, not in just an intellectual way, not just with our minds, but with a closeness of our heart, like in an intimate way, in a trusting, independent kind of way. This is what it means to know God. And we know him through revelation, and we read here that this revelation is given to us by the Spirit of God. I want us to think for a minute like what that concept would do to our time with God. What would that concept do with our time with God if, if, if we realize that knowing God isn't just reading, it isn't just checking boxes, it isn't just gaining more intellectual knowledge about who he is, but it's, it's sitting in his presence. Then it would become a little bit less burdensome, it would become less heavy, and it becomes just sitting in the presence of God at his word and knowing that we are, when we're in his word, that we are with him in his presence. We are experiencing God. If knowledge is that, if, if, if word here, knowledge, means that we would know God like profoundly, then that's what it is. Our time with God would be experiencing him. It would be knowing him. And God wants to be known. He is knowable. And through his word and through the spirit, he reveals to us truth about who he is. The last thing that Paul would pray for us to have in, is in verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. 
He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. We'll stop there. Having the, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So the last thing that, that he says is like, would your hearts be opened? The NLT words this in a, in a cool way. It says to have your hearts flooded with light. So not just enlightened, but flooded with light. So it's interesting about the, the use of, of light, or to say flooded with light, is that what light does is it reveals something that's already true. Like light reveals something that's already there. Like a flashlight, for example, in the dark. Like if I shine a flashlight like out on a tree in my backyard, it doesn't make the tree appear, right? It, the tree is already there. The flashlight reveals it and opens it to us. And so what Paul is saying here. Like as he wants us to have these things, to have this spirit of wisdom, of knowledge, to have our eyes open, what Paul is saying is, I want you to, to sit in the things that are already true about you and to know them. Like there, is, there is awesome truths about you and, and who you are. I want you to know them and to experience, experience, experience them. Paul wants to be able to see is the truth that he starts this letter out with. The things that we heard Zach talk about last week. Those spiritual blessings. In, in verses 3 through 14, when he talks about our being saved, our being chosen, our being predestined, our being adopted, our being sealed. Like he says, then in verse 15, for this reason I pray these things. So Paul is saying, like, I want you spirit-filled believers to understand in a deeper and stronger, fuller, growing way what is already true of you as believers. That's the goal of Paul's prayer for us. That we live in the reality of our being with God. You've been given like an identity in, in your being with Christ. And Paul would say, live that out. Like, know that and feel that and live that. So those are the things that Paul would call us to, to have. That we would have a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of, of knowledge, and a spirit of want to have opened eyes, right? And we could certainly pray those things for our high school seniors as well, right? That they would have wisdom, that they would have like knowledge of God and experience of God as they continue to go forward. So keep that in mind as you pray for these seniors. The next thing Paul does, he wants us to, to have certain things, but he also wants us to know certain things. Paul wants us to know certain things. Now, our knowledge is, of course, a direct result of stuff being revealed to us. And we just talked about having knowledge revealed. And we talked about wisdom. And, and those things certainly are knowing. But Paul's very specific in the things that he wants us to know. Like, he doesn't just pray for us to have knowledge. He prays for what specific things he wants us to have knowledge about. And the three things in particular, one looking back, one looking forward, and then one looking in the here and now. So first, he wants us to know the hope to which we were called. The hope to which we were called. Looking back, so verse 18 says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants us to know, like looking back on our like, salvation, looking back at what Christ had, has done for us, looking back to the hope that we have been called, right? And this hope isn't hope the way we use it, right? It's not, I hope so. Hope here is differently. It's a statement of certainty, a hymn that we would sing would say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Like that hope there, that's not uncertain. That is knowing, like, without a doubt, trusting in what God has done for us. And he says, look back to the moment in which you were called. 
I want you to know that and know the hope that comes from that being called. So Paul draws us backwards to the moment of our being called. The second thing he wants us to know is of inheritance. Inheritance, that's future. So he says, look back to when you were called. Now look forward to your future. Verse 18 says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now this, this wording here is a little different. It says, his glorious inheritance in the saints, like in, in the believers. So like when I first kind of read through this passage, my, my brain just automatically defaults to say, oh, this just means, like, he's just talking about our inheritance as believers. And, and that certainly is true. Like, Scripture supports that. But the wording here, and a lot of, like, other commentators on this passage who are way smarter than me, like, would agree that this could also mean, and likely also means, like, God is talking about his inheritance. So what he's saying is, is that we are his inheritance. Like, so God's looking forward to the future and saying, you people as believers, as the church, like, you are my inheritance. And Paul wants us to know that. Like, Paul wants us to, to feel that and experience that, like, to know that, that God sees us as his own inheritance. And what an, like, awesome thing. Like, and we see throughout Scripture, like, that God calls us his possession. We've been purchased by his blood. But here we see, like, God is, is waiting for us as an inheritance. And that inheritance will be like more fully realized in the future when we're with him. Just like our inheritance as believers, just like the things that we would get like as we see God in heaven, God also is waiting for us as his inheritance. We don't often think about ourselves that way, I don't think. We don't think of our worth to him, our value to him. And what joy would we have if we could wrap our minds around that idea? Like, that even I, like, as this sinful, like, unrighteous, like, dirty and stained sinner, because of what Jesus has done in us, God then would see us as a prize. God then would see us as a reward. God would, would want us. Like, would want to have us. Like, he would desire to have us. Like, no wonder Paul wants us to know this. No wonder Paul says, like, know this thing about God. Because how much would this transform, again, our, our coming to God? How much would this transform like, our wanting to spend time with God if, if we didn't see God as, as distant or cold or wrathful? Or if, or if we instead would see God like, wanting us, desiring us, waiting for us as an inheritance? How would that change the way that we come? And, and not just inheritance, but a rich inheritance. And wouldn't we come to God more eagerly knowing that we aren't a bother, knowing that, that he isn't like disappointed in us, but rather that we are his inheritance, that he has purchased by the blood of Jesus. That would, that would change the way that we view ourselves in light of God. We would trust and see that God sees us not just as like these, these stubborn people, and we are, but as stubborn people who have been redeemed by Jesus and who are his inheritance. So Paul wants us to, to know these things past like that, our, that we've been called, like to look back at our past, to look forward to this idea of inheritance in the future, either our inheritance or God inheriting us as saints. And then finally, he wants us to see the power of God in the present. Verse 19 says, and what is, or and to know basically, and know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul doesn't just want us to, to look to the past and to the future and say, well, he called me, and one day I'll be with him, so I'm just not going to worry about this in between time. 
But he wants us to look to the present and to see that, that we have been given this power from Jesus in the here and the now. We have been given power, and it says an immeasurable power. So remember, this is a prayer. Like He's praying for us to know things. So he's not, again, he's not saying, like, God, I pray that you would give them power. He's saying, God, I pray they would know about the power that you already have given them. That's already at their disposal. In Christ, we have been given, like, this huge power. Like, not just that we would look for in the future, but, but now. We've given power over sin. We've been given power over death, over Satan. Like, we're given the power to, to put away sin. Like, not perfectly and not something we do on our own, but something that God would do in us. We're given the power to share the gospel, right? We're given the, the power to, to grow. We're given the power to build relationships in our church that would be God-honoring. Like, we're given the power to live out the things that, that he wants us to know. And that's what, what Paul prays, that we would know of this power, that our eyes would be opened to it. He says, there are things that you have in Christ already. Live those things out. Like, don't live life blind to this power. Like, I imagine, like, just a, a story of uh, maybe someone who, like, had a, a rich uncle that, that, that died, and for years maybe didn't know it, but he had this huge inheritance, right? For years he, he lived like just a normal person when he could have been living as this rich millionaire, Right? And he finds out, he's like, man, I wish I would have known earlier about this, this wealth that I have. And Paul says here, like, you have a great wealth in God. You have great power in God. You have been given a spirit of wisdom, of, of knowledge. You've had your like, eyes opened. Like, would you just experience those and know those things? So Paul wants us to have, and he wants us to know. And the last thing I want to think about this as we close this morning is the basis for those things. The rest of this chapter, like the bottom part of the chapter, is Paul describing like Christ's work at the cross and describing his glorification and describing him being put at the head of the church. And so the basis for our knowing, for our having, like for our power in God, the basis for those things is Christ's work here on earth and his uh, continual like atoning for us, right? That is the... The, the basis for us to know or to have anything, but especially for us to have a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of, of knowledge, for us to, to live in the power that God's given us now, for us to have hope, and for us to long for look forward to this future inheritance, those are based on Jesus and his work. So again, I want us to close just by thinking, remember that this is a prayer. Like this is something that Paul is praying for you to know. So would you know these truths? Would you then live out these truths? Would you learn to experience like what God has said about you to be true? We talk a lot in youth about our identities, right? And, and what Ephesians 2, we'll see later, tells us is like, you were once this thing, but now you are this. Like, you were once dead, but now you are alive. Like, we've been given a new identity. And Paul here is saying, I want you to know it. I want you to believe it and to behold it. Let us pray. Thanks again for tuning in, and don't forget to check us out on Facebook, at our website, or even in person right here in Troy. All information and links are in our description. Thank you, and God bless.